Well, our scripture reading today is Luke chapter 7, and I invite you to turn with me there to Luke 7, verse 18. Seven eighteen. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. Let me just pause for a second. Uh, all these things being, uh, for example, in the preceding verses, Jesus raising uh, the widow of Nain's son from the dead and other uh, healings as well. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To whom then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. None of us likes to not get what we want. It upsets us. Sometimes we get frustrated when things don't go our way, uh, the way that we think they should go, the way that we want them to go. Um, Sometimes we get upset when our life doesn't seem as good as the lives of other people around us 
especially if you look at Facebook or other social media. Everybody puts their best face forward on that thing. Nobody ever has any problems that they want to share. And then some people have, they're, they're always having a problem. And you're like, I wish they wouldn't put that on Facebook. Well, sometimes we uh, have that same attitude towards God. John asks an interesting question here. We'll explore that in just a moment. But it's a question that uh, I think that we can ask uh, ourselves here today. A, a very pertinent question that you see there in verse 20. Is Jesus the one who is to come? Or in our case, the one who has come and will return. Is Jesus that one? Or shall we look for another? Because the temptation for us is that we will, when we are faced with life not going the way that we think it should go, even as believers, that uh, somehow God's not coming through for us and we can be angry at the Lord. But Jesus has a beatitude here. You know, the beatitudes are not limited to the beatitudes that you have in the Sermon on the Mount, but there's a beatitude here in, in verse 23. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Have you ever found yourself offended by God? You know, if you think about the problems that we all have, I mean, we, we all have, I mean, pro practically everybody here probably has one of uh, four or five problems. You either have financial problems, uh, you, either, you, prob you may have uh, relationship problems, uh, you may have uh, uh, addiction problems, whether that's uh, alcohol, drugs, or food, or any kind of other addiction, pornography. Uh, you may have uh, work problems, um, you may have, well, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? But everybody here probably has one of those problems, and there may be a few more that I'm leaving out. And, and we think, well, Lord, why don't you help me with these financial problems, or, or why don't you help me with these um, relationship problems, with these problems with my children or my spouse, with these problems I have at work? Uh, why can't we just get past this? If I just had this, life would be good. If, if I just had my financial problems fixed, it would be all good. Or if I could just get past this sin in my life, it would all be good. Why doesn't God help us? When you look at this verse within the flow of Luke, last week we looked at this amazing healing. Jesus heals this dead man. He's, he's dead. They're taking him out to bury him in the ground. And the poor widow, she's hopeless because she's got no one to protect her. She's got no one to provide for her, for her future. Her, her husband is gone. This was her only son. She's almost left destitute or will be destitute soon. And Jesus comes in and he heals her. And last week I almost preached a sermon, and I told the Sunday night crowd this, about hope for the hopeless. But I kept being nagged by the thought that, you know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. And he didn't raise everybody from the dead. He did a lot of that, but not everybody. 
And case in point, we come to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison at this point. That's why he doesn't come himself to Jesus. He's locked away in Herod's prison. And he's not going to get out. In fact, it's going to be shortly that Herod is going to behead him because of a silly thing he said at a, at a drunken party. What about John? Uh, Jesus says he's the greatest of all the prophets. He's, uh, no one's greater than John. But yet, he leaves him in prison. When he can, I mean, if you can raise someone from the dead, you can get somebody out of prison, can't you? But he doesn't do that. When we perceive that the Lord is, is not coming through for us, when we're not enjoying the, the blessings that we see others enjoy, it's easy for us to be offended by God. That word in verse 23, offended, is the Greek word scandalon. It's uh, scandalon. The, the verb form of scandalon, scandal, scandalized. Um, it's a, a stumbling block or something, something that you can't get past. You know, is, is there something in your life right now about Jesus that you just can't get past? And that's what Jesus is saying to John. This is the message that he's saying. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's doesn't have something that he can't get by with but concerning Jesus. Now let's back up a little bit. Why is John asking this question? Because that's really where I'm headed with this. Um, John, of course, knew who Jesus was. He was the one, he had two purposes. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Even though you find him in the New Testament, He's an Old Testament prophet in style and in substance. But he had the great privilege of being the one who was prophesied about the Elijah to come that was going to announce and prepare the way for the Lord. So he prepared the way for the Lord by preaching repentance. Get prepared, get ready. Be baptized for the repentance of your sins. And he also pointed to Christ. Here's the one whose shoes I'm not even... Uh, worthy to tie. He's, he's greater than everybody. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He pointed to Jesus. So why, why is John asking this question? Are you the one or should we look for another? It's odd, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> we, we can't know exactly what John was thinking. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that, but there's only a few options out there, and I think one stands out more than others. If you think about what John preached, I mean, we can go and, and look at some of the words that he said. For example, uh, well, just to back up a little bit more, John was kind of a larger-than-life character, wasn't he? He was out in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts, which is kind of weird to us. And wild honey, you know, he was uh, kind of a spectacle, and everybody went out to him, and he had, 
He was kind of a fire and brimstone kind of Old Testament style prophet. And he was telling people that they're sinners and, and telling them that they needed to repent. And he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he preached this message of judgment and repentance. Matthew 3 records his message. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. But by the time you get to the text today, John is locked away in Herod's prison, and he's never going to escape there, as I mentioned before. So while he's there in prison, he hears the report of Jesus and what he's doing. And what is Jesus doing? He's healing people. He's preaching to people. He's feasting with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. Where's the judgment? John is unjustly locked in prison. Where's the justice? And so I think that's where this question is coming from. See, John did not understand the, two, the two-tiered uh, mission of Jesus. He, he came the first time, and he did. He healed, he preached a message of grace, and he's going to come again. And the second time he comes, then he's going to bring judgment. Listen to what uh, John says in chapter 3. Of, of the gospel of John. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He comes from above, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now isn't that interesting that he's asking this question? after that sort of testimony about the greatness of Jesus Christ, that he's actually the Son of God. And if you believe in him, you'll have life. But he also preached that Jesus would bring judgment. The axe is at the root of the tree. It's just ready. You know, he's, he's lining it up. And you better repent. And so I think John was expecting some fire of judgment some judgment on these wicked people 
in the unjust society, the Roman society that they lived in. Now, I'm not accusing John the Baptist of wrong here. He's doing something right. He is going to Jesus to find out. I mean, he can't go there himself, obviously. He's in prison. But he, he sends his disciples to Jesus himself. He goes to the highest authority to get his questions answered. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. He doesn't have a firm grasp on the, the, the mission of Jesus. And Jesus answered him. You know, John quoted a lot of Old Testament passages about judgment in his preaching. Well, Jesus, the words that he says are also very close to some Old Testament prophecies. Jesus, verse 22, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. It sounds like Isaiah 35, it sounds like Isaiah 61, where the, the blind receive their sight, the lepers are cleansed. And Isaiah 61 is important. In Luke 4, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus was in the synagogue and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads it in the presence of everyone and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he folds it up and he sits down and he says, Today this is fulfilled in your, in, in your presence. He is the one who fulfills that. Now the interesting thing about this quotation of Isaiah 61 is that Jesus cuts it off mid-sentence. You know, he stops in verse 19 of Luke 4 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, period, but in Isaiah 61 it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't come the first time to bring the vengeance of God. He's not going to do that yet. That's for his second coming. And that's what John didn't understand, that there's going to be this second coming where he will execute the fullness of his judgment. The first appearance of the Lord was the revelation of God's grace and truth. The Gospel of John again, verse 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So John didn't understand this. And I think that's why he's confused. John had what we call an over-realized eschatology. That's a big phrase, theological phrase. Eschatology is the study of the last things, study of the end, Christ's return, death, hell, judgment, heaven. All those things are, are, are part of eschatology. And an over-realized eschatology is when you think that you should have the things that come later 
after Jesus' second coming now. And that's what happens to us sometimes and why we get scandalized, why we get offended by God because we want that future now. We want perfect bodies now. We want to be liberated from the bondage that we encounter now. I mean, Isaiah 61 says, I have come to liberate people who are in, in bondage, who are in chains, who, who, uh, who are captives. And John the Baptist is a captive, unjustly. And Jesus doesn't free him. But he's free now because he's in heaven with the Lord. And one day, John the Baptist will be with us in the new heavens and new earth. There will be no prisons. There will be perfect bodies. There will be all those things. Free from all the problems of this life one day in the new heavens and new earth. So when we are pursuing Jesus for all those blessings that he's promised in the future, and even the blessings that he's has given us now, when we follow Jesus for those things instead of for himself, when we don't get those things, it makes us embittered towards the Lord. If we expect that Jesus is going to do just exactly what we want and give us exactly what we think we should get and we don't, then we're going to get mad about it, right? If we don't get what we want, then we're going to be upset. So we need to remember we're, we're not following Jesus for the blessings. We're following Jesus, and he will bless us. But it's not the blessings that we're after. It's to be Jesus that we're after. That's who we should welcome into our lives. So... Is Jesus the one? Or are you looking somewhere else? Because you can do that. You can say that Jesus is the one. Is he the one that's to come? Is he all that he says he is? is, is do we believe that he's all that John testified that he is? If he is that great, then just the fact that we are in relationship with him it should be what we're pursuing. Just to be in relationship with him to know him. And if he blesses us, yes, he will bless us, and he's going to bless us, and we have all those blessings, and we will enjoy every blessing one day. But he also loves us enough in this, this life to discipline us, to make us uncomfortable sometimes, so that we can be more holy, more devoted to him. That's the goal. That's why our salvation, the point of our salvation is to make us holy, to make us set apart for God, to release our grip on all the things of the world, all the idols of the heart that we have, and to worship and serve him alone. So an overrealized eschatology can cause us to be offended by God because he's not doing what we think we should. Some people say that. You're the child of the king. Doesn't your dad want you to have everything? 
Well, he also wants you to be disciplined because if he's your dad, he wants you to learn something of suffering like his son before everything is opened up in the new heavens and the new earth. So we can expect that suffering, persecution, if we're like Christ in this time. One day we'll have all those blessings, and that's our hope. We've been singing about hope today. Well, if Christ is the one, and, and we don't need to look anywhere else, how should we respond? And that takes us to the next section uh, of this passage quickly. Um, Jesus addresses the crowd after John's messengers go, and he, he affirms that John was the great prophet, a great prophet, the, the ultimate prophet of the Old Testament, verse 26 and 27. He's the one that fulfills the prophecy about being the forerunner of Christ. And I tell you, verse 28, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a difficult statement to understand. But I think verse 29 helps us, 29 and 30. I don't believe those parentheses should be there in verse 29 and 30. A lot of uh, Bible translations take verse 29 and 30 as an editorial comment from Luke that Luke is explaining what Jesus meant. But I think that it is part of what Jesus said. And I think Jesus is explaining what he's saying, and it, and it flows better. It doesn't change the meaning whether you attribute it to Luke or Jesus, the same message is going out. But I think it makes more sense if, if Jesus says, because the word this in verse 29, when all the people heard this, that word this is not actually in the Greek. It's grammatically correct to, to translate it that way, but you don't have to include that this there. So you could read that, that Jesus says, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard John and even the tax collectors, they declared God just, having been baptism, baptized with the baptism of John. So what Jesus is saying there is that when the people were baptized, when they heard John's message, and when they believed that John was sent from God, and they, they saw him pointing to Christ when they responded to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah by being baptized for repentance, they were justifying God. They were saying that God was right. God is right in sending John. God is right in his assessment of us. God is right in saying that we're sinners and we need a Savior. That's what Jesus is saying. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. How should we respond? If he is the one, and we're not to look for any other, then the first thing we need to do is repent. Repent. That's what, that's what John told us to do to be prepared for Christ. And Jesus himself said the same things. Turn from our sin and turn to him, the one to whom John the Baptist pointed. And then Jesus goes on to say, To what shall I compare the people of this generation? And he's talking there about these Pharisees and lawyers. The people of that generation that, that had John the Baptist and Jesus and rejected them both. 
They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance, we sang a dirge and you, you did not weep. You can't be satisfied. You're like little children who won't play the game. doesn't matter what the game is, you're just not going to play. You're going to sit there and with your lips poked out and pout. And that's what the, these relig- religious leaders were doing. John was an aesthetic. He didn't eat. You know, he, ate, he had a strange diet. He didn't eat or drink. He lived out in the wilderness. And these religious leaders said, oh, that guy's crazy. He's got a demon. He's nuts. And then Jesus comes just the opposite. He's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, and you're calling him a glutton and drunkard. It doesn't matter who's coming because you're, you're rejecting God's purposes for you. You're not listening. You don't see what John was pointing to, and you're not looking at the one that has come, Jesus. If Jesus is the one, and you shouldn't look for another, then yes, we should repent. Wisdom is justified by all her children. So you've got these pouty children, and then you've got the children of wisdom. They're those who embrace Christ as the one. Well, they're going to be shown to be wise, especially when Christ returns again in judgment. Well, I want to encourage you today to assess yourself. Is Jesus the one for you? Is he the one, the one thing? Reminds me of City Slickers. You ever see that movie? Uh, Billy Crystal and his friends go on a cattle drive and they're all having midlife crises and And the the lesson from the movie, Billy Crystal says, is he just, you know, he says one thing. And and for him, it was his family, you know, to to really assess what's most important in life. Family's important, but it's not the most important thing. Jesus is the most important thing in your life because you're a sinner. You need to repent and turn to him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your sin is your biggest problem, and that's who you need. And if he's the one then turn from sin and turn to him completely. Don't be miffed that your life is not perfect. It's not going to be in this life, but one day it will be because of Jesus. That's the God you need. might not be the God you want, but that's the God you need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us to see what's most important. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just play religion, but that we would really have a relationship with you, that we would, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that we would rejoice in the Lord always, that you would be the, the center of our happiness and joy. When we are close to you, we're joyful. When we're not, we're, we're mourning. Lord, we pray that you would be the center of our affections, that, that you would be the one to whom we look uh, moment by moment to, to bear us up. Lord, give us a deeper faith in you. Help us not to run to our idols. Help us not to run to those escapes that we run to just to get relief from the difficulties of life. But Lord, help us to learn what it means to find our refuge in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.